0: Welcome to this sermon podcast from Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. time with family is important, your time with your work is important, your time taking care of business is important, but I don't think there's more important hours of your week than those spent at church on Sunday and Wednesday night and when we have special meetings. I believe more than ever the preaching of God's Word is, is valuable to God's people, so it's a privilege to share with you As we travel through the book of Colossians, uh, we ended last time in verse number 4, so we pick up tonight in verse number 5. We're calling tonight's lesson, No Longer a Slave to Sin. That's what tonight's lesson is about. This will help you because, folks, we're all sinners, and we all have to battle it. And the more we live in a world that resembles Sodom and Gomorrah, the more important this message is because it means those temptations are around all the more. There are more and more temptations in entertainment. There's more and more temptations in the community. There's more and more temptations uh, in the the workplace. So there's ever-increasing temptations, which makes this message tonight all the more important. And Paul deals with it as he's writing these Colossians or as he's writing us here in Mayo. It's to us as well. In verse number 5, Paul says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience into which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds." This passage teaches us clearly that prior to salvation, all men and women are slaves to sin. With that fact comes attendant problems. When you are a slave to sin, you are going to receive the wrath of God. That's what this is teaching about here. If you are unsaved and die in your sins, you will receive the ultimate wrath of God, which is punishment in hell forever without any hope of negotiation or escape. It isn't going to happen. I mean, that is the ultimate wrath of God. But for believers who will not face that ultimate wrath of God, you will still face, in this lifetime, the wrath of God if you do not get rid of these things that are listed here in this passage. I mean, you think about Ananias and Sapphira. You know, they had promised to give all from a sale of land, and they ended up lying to God, and God killed them. They experienced the wrath of God. You think about Achan back in the Old Testament. They they went to battle, and they were told, you know, Do not take any of the spoils of war. Leave them there. But Achan didn't listen to God. He had greed or covetousness, which is one of the sins listed here. Took it back, buried in his tent. And they found out about it. And it cost him and his family their lives. The wrath of God. You you think about Saul. Saul thought he was above reproach. God gave him orders to destroy everything, including the king, and he makes excuses. No, 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 you know, the people, they, they the ones, they wanted to let this guy go and what have you. You know, and Saul paid for that the rest of his life, experiencing the wrath of God. This tells us how we can avoid that. You know, there's just enough trouble from the normal daily living. I don't need the wrath of God to deal with. So as Paul turns to the practical aspects of Christianity in this passage, he explains that there are things that if we want to avoid the wrath of God, there are certain things that should not be in our lives. Now, concerning this passage, one preacher wrote this. Here's the quote behind me. This part is, talking about these verses, verses 5 through 9, this part is, so to speak, negative, in that it teaches what is to be put to death, what is to be put away, and from what we are to abstain. Now, that's not really popular today. People don't like to be told what to do. Kids don't like to be told what to do, and guess what? Adults don't like to be told what to do. But in this passage tonight, he's going to tell us what to put away, and then Beginning next week, he's going to be telling us, this is what you want to add. You need to, deal, you need to put away the old man, the way you were before you were saved, when you were controlled by sin, and then you need to add to that the aspects of, of righteousness. You know, you think about it, when somebody restores an old car. You know, I mentioned Rita DeVault just a while ago and her dealing with cancer uh, before her husband passed away, I would go out to his house and in his uh, pole barn, he had cars, cool, neat cars that he had restored. And and when someone goes to restore a car, they know if they're serious about it. It isn't enough to simply paint over the old rust. You know, that's not going to do you any good. Even if the paint's of the highest quality, the the rust is going to soon reappear, and if not quickly treated, it's going to destroy the car's body. The rust has to be removed before you can put the new paint on the car. Now, I'm not in the car restoring business, but that just makes sense to me, that you have to remove the rust before you put on the new paint. And what Paul is saying here is, now that you are Christians, talking to these first-generation Christians, the Colossians, he is telling them, look, you got to get rid of the rust. And he, he labels and he gives a list of everything that would be considered rust. I like what Warren Weersby has to say about this passage. Read the quotes behind me. There's two of them. Weersby says concerning this very passage, We turn now from the positive to the negative. There are some people who do not like the negative. Give us positive doctrines, they say. Forget about negative warnings and admonitions. But the negative warnings and commands grow out of the positive truths of Christian doctrine. This is why Paul wrote, Mortify, therefore. And then he goes on to say, Wearsby again quoting him No amount of positive talk about health will cure a ruptured appendix. The doctor will have to get negative and take out the appendix. No amount of lecturing on beauty will produce a garden. The gardener has to pull weeds. The positive and the negative go together, and one without the other leads to imbalance. And I can assure you that there are churches today where pastors will never say anything negative. Can you say Houston, Texas? Just no names. But, but it's true. I mean, that's an illustration of what I'm talking about. I'm not putting out, that's, that's a statement of, of fact. I'm just going to be positive. I'm not going to say, again, that is imbalance. And you know the importance here at Mayo Baptist Church of balance, well, let's look at this passage tonight because we need to know what it says because we need to check ourselves and see if any of these traits or sins are in us. Paul starts off in verse number five. Martify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Now, what does that mean? Martify means put to death. I mean, put it to death. Don't put it on the back burner, don't sweep it under the rug, but put these things to death. Your members, when he says mortify your members, your members mean any parts of the body that can be used to engage in sin. You know, your legs walking to sin, your feet dealing with sin, your hands, parts of the body, you know, any of those things that might be prone to sin, those are your members. And the sin that would, be executed through those has to be put to death. And when he says, which are upon the earth, he's talking about this sin cursed world. So, mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Again, a couple quotes concerning that statement that I think will illustrate it even better. Paul is commanding the Colossians to live a brand new resurrection lifestyle, cut the umbilical cord to sin. The the lifeline of those habits and uh, practices that characterized your life before Christ. You no longer have to give in to these. That's what Paul was stressing to them. That's what Paul today, 2,000 years later, through his writings, is still stressing to believers today. You are liberated. And true freedom is not the right to do as you please, but the power to do as you should. And that is critical in this day and age. Again, true freedom. Yes, we have freedom in Christ. True freedom is not the right to do as you please, but the power to do as you should. And then Paul is painting a very strong picture here. One suggesting that we are not simply to suppress or control evil acts and attitudes. We are to wipe them out. Completely exterminate the old way of life. And then in verses 5... And then continuing in verse number 8, he goes so far as to list the kinds of sins that should not be named among us. And I'm using Warren Wearsby's definitions for these particular sins. In verse number 5, he lists the following that need to be mortified, that need to be put to death. Fornication refers to sexual immorality in general. Uncleanness means lustful impurity that is connected with luxury and loose living. He lists inordinate affection, describes a state of mind that excites sexual impurity. The person who cultivates this kind of appetite can always find opportunity, he says, to satisfy it. Evil concupiscence means base evil desires covetousness is the sin of always wanting more it might be coveting you know sexual relations with someone that is is against god's will whether it be more things or more pleasures and if you look at those those are kind of broad definitions fornication you know uncleanness inordinate affection and you know because it would be impossible for the bible you, you would have to have a set of encyclopedias written in in lawyer terms that would describe every possible sin. And I really believe the Lord lays this out in kind of a general way. And you get the general idea. But I think it's those that are in leadership that have the responsibility to give guidance and and, and definition here. Uh, I, I think parents, you know. You know, a child may say, well, that's not in the Bible. And a parent could say, that is uncleanness, what you are wanting to do. And therefore, you know, it might be something they are watching on TV or something they're wanting to listen to on the radio. And you as parents have a right to define that. And I judge that TV program to be inappropriate. I judge that music to be inappropriate. And it's for those in authority to make those kinds of applications. And that's the right and responsibility of a parent and so it is of a pastor, too, to give definition to some of these sometimes. And sometimes I will get specific. I've got the general definitions, just like parents have. Parents have the responsibility to define that further and, and, and in more detail, and such is the case for the pastor. And those are listed in verse number 5. And then in verse number 8, he lists other sins that he says are to be mortified anger describes habitual attitudes everybody knows what anger is wrath those refers to a sudden outburst of anger then he mentions malice this should not be named among any of us in this room is an attitude of ill will toward a person if we have malice toward a person we are sad when he is successful and we rejoice when he has trouble That's malice. That's not to be named among any person in this room. Neither is blasphemy. Describes speech that slanders others and tears them down. Filthy communication is just that. Foul speech, coarse humor, obscene language. And then he mentions lying, which, of course, is not speaking the truth. So those are listed in verse number 5 and verse number 8. And folks, we need to do an inventory, and if that is a part of who we are, we need to mortify that. We need to deal with it. We need to get rid of it. And verse number number six explains why. For which things, that's listed, sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Matthew Henry says, Paul will now explain why we should mortify our members. The wrath of God is coming and will come on sin. Don't be deceived thinking you can live habitually in one of these sins and get away with it. One other writer said the wrath of God is one of the attributes of God, which although less popular to discuss is just as valid and sure as his love faith, and faithfulness, etc. I mean, as I said Sunday, you have in Christ both the lion and the lamb. And neither of those aspects of his character Can we afford to ignore? And then he gives this statement, in the which also, verse number 7, ye also walked sometime when ye lived in them. The fact that we formerly lived in sin is a good argument why we should now forsake it. We've walked in bypaths; therefore now let us choose to walk on the highway of holiness. And it is possible, though tragic, that these sins should occasionally mark a Christian's life, But they must not be a Christian's walk, their manner of living. And more about that in just a second. So the theme of the passage is to put off the sins that God judges and punishes. So now comes the practical application. Pastor, do you have any thoughts founded in Scripture that would enable me to overcome sins because as you list them uh, one or more of them may be in in our lives right now and you know the lord has said get rid of them you know now the question is is there some help for me and that's where the practical ask, uh, practical application of a bible message comes in let me give you 10 10 practical ideas to help put off or to mortify these sins. Number one, it's critical to agree with God that the sins mentioned are indeed sins. You, you have to agree with God that the sins mentioned are indeed sins. You know, you can't explain it away. Number two, you have to acknowledge the sins that are in your life. And when you pray for God's help, which we'll get to in a second, you need to name those sins. Don't just generalize and say, well, Lord, I'm a sinner or, Forgive me, help me to overcome them. No, it, it is good to identify them as the Lord has identified them in His Word. Number three, anticipate that you will experience the wrath of God for your sin. I mean, if you want motivation for defeating uh, these sins in, in your life, well, facing the wrath of God, because there's no way we're going to win. <laughs> you go up against Him, I mean, you, you don't have to wonder how it's going to end, it's, it's, it's not going to be pretty. And you're going to face the wrath of God, such as it happens for children of disobedience. Number four, and this is so critical in the day and age in which we live, do not make excuses for your sins. And you, you hear a lot of that. Well, you know, I, for whatever reason. It's my personality or that's my weakness. Now You can't make excuses. Number five, and this is real practical, avoid places, people, and possibilities for feeding the flesh. You know, the Bible says a companion of fools will what, be destroyed. And you get saved, and you may have your old buddies that you've spent the last fifteen years with, but the Bible says a companion of fools will be destroyed. You know, and and what? So the the, the things you look at, the you know, where does, where does the cesspool of sin enter in into our lives, today? Often. It's through entertainment, is it not? I mean, and some people will excuse it. They're, one of my biggest pet peeves with preachers is they will use illustrations in a sermon from R rated movies. You know, they'll, they'll tell a story from an R rated movie, or, or it doesn't even, I mean, there are lots of movies. You don't have to be R rated to be bad. But I mean, an R rated would tell you that obviously it's bad. And, you know, and, and it tells you they're watching it, and they assume their people are watching it, and they don't condemn it. Just, they just use some story from that, and everybody laughs, and everybody thinks it's funny. And, you know, you've just had the sewer line come into the church. So, you know, you, you have to avoid. Uh, avoid places. Avoid people. Avoid the possibilities for feeding your flesh. You know, you have to be very careful with the TV. You have to be very careful with the computer. You've got to be very careful with, with literature and, and books and, and magazines these days. If you want to defeat this thing. Uh, number six, feed the Spirit through the church, through the Word and Christian friends. Wh- wh- which, which is going to win? My, my flesh or, or my faith? Well, it's whichever one you feed. Wh- wh- whichever one you feed. I mean, if you're not coming to here, you know, you, there, there are people that you care about today, that you are concerned about today, that are not living for God because they're feeding the flesh. They're, they're, they want the party life. They want the drinking. In some cases, they want the drugs. They, they want the sleeping around and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And they feed it, so they're not coming to church. You're not going to live that lifestyle on a Friday and Saturday night and show up in a Bible-believing preaching church on a Sunday morning. But if you show up in the Bible-believing church on Sunday morning, you're here on Sunday afternoon, you're here on Wednesday night, you're going to be uncomfortable then in the world. So it's whichever one you feed. Number seven, be quick to confess sins when you do fall. Be quick to confess. Just confess them. Just, just confess them. Number eight, pray for victory over sin. I think the last two are very important. Understand that defeating sin is a daily battle the Apostle Paul said, I die daily. And understand that defeating sin is a lifetime battle. You haven't lost till you've given up, till you've thrown in the towel. You say, Pastor, I've been battling a certain sin for 20 years. Okay? Well, you haven't lost, have you? You're still battling. Now, if you've given into it and you're just Entertaining that sin and living in that sin, enjoying that sin, and perhaps excusing that sin, then you've lost. You know. So again, it may take a long time. Some people have what you know we call besetting sins—a a, a weakness that just you know you, you, some some person's weakness might be alcohol, some persons might be porn, some persons might be this, that, or the other. And you know you get victory over the lesser temptations, but for you. That's, that's your battle. That's your Waterloo, you yeah. know. So understand, you know, keep battling. Just keep battling and keep battling and keep battling. You haven't lost until you've lost. And if you're battling, you haven't lost. And so just, just stay with it. No two people are the same, you know. And the, and the fact that you've been battling it for 30 years, okay, I'm proud of you. Keep, keep on battling it. I read this story, I'll just share it with you, because it illustrates the point that I just made. Have you ever noticed that in winter, some oak trees retain their crisp, dry leaves long after the maples, the elms, and the walnuts have become bare skeletons? You notice that? My house, you'll have leaves up on the oak trees and all the other leaves are, are gone. But as springtime progresses, warmer winds blow, and something wonderful begins to happen. Tiny buds start appearing at the tips of the twigs, and the dried remnants of the preceding season fall off. New life replaces the old. This writer says, At times, old habits cling to our lives with the same tenacity as those oak leaves. Even the winds of adversity do not remove all the lifeless leftovers of our fallen human nature. But Christ, who dwells in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, is at work. His life within us continually seeks to push off the old habits. Renewing us when we confess our sins. Steadying us when we falter. And strengthening us to do his will. When every effort to cast off an old sinful habit ends in failure, remember the mighty oak. Thank God for his spirit who lives in you. Keep saying yes to his gentle urging to be kind, loving, compassionate. Honest, faithful, and pure. And the encouragement that he ends with is those lifeless old leaves will eventually drop off. So, the Apostle Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, the following. "Mortify, kill therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience, in the which ye also walk sometime when, past tense, you live in them. For those sins that God has given you the victory over, praise God for it. For those sins which perhaps you or I may battle on a daily basis, keep battling. You haven't lost until you've lost. And the Lord wants you to win. And he will give the victory.
1: Thank you for listening to today's
0: message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word. If you have any questions about Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com Thanks for listening.